0: There once lived a minister with his two daughters in a small village off the coast of Denmark and this minister started a church that was founded on the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels and on the core value of simplicity that life in this community should be simple no extravagance no lavish things uh, that dress would be modest and mostly wear black or white Food would be soup and bread, not more than you need for your daily needs. And so they gathered a group, a small congregation, who every Sunday would meet in the minister's home, and the minister would preach, and his two daughters would play the piano and sing. And uh, they would have a meal afterwards soup and bread. And uh, this went on for many years, and the daughters were very devoted to their father. And even turning down marriage proposals in order to stay in the village and do the work of the church and work with their father. Well, one day uh, the minister became sick and died. But the two sisters decided that they would carry on the work of the church, and so they continued uh, to take care of the people. Uh, They had all gotten older at this point, only about nine or ten people in the congregation, but uh, they would still meet Sundays, have a prayer service, sing hymns together, and then have a fellowship meal together, soup and bread. And as is usual with so many churches, small things came up through the years, Little controversies. One, one man was convinced that another man in the congregation had defrauded him in a business deal. Two women began to gossip about one another behind each other's back. But one day, a boat washed up on shore, and a woman who had fled her native France was in the boat, and, and the sisters found her, and they invited her into their home and she introduced herself. Her name is Babette, and she has nothing but the clothes on her back. And she asked if she could simply live with them, and she would serve them. Well, the sisters, of course, had never had a servant. They were used to being the ones serving, and they had no money uh, to pay her. But they reluctantly agreed to allow her. And so they taught her how to do the the laundry and how to make the soup and the bread and uh, take care. And she, Babette, quickly fit into the community. Uh, And many years they lived this way until one day uh, Babette received a letter in the mail from a friend back in Paris who had stayed there and uh, her friend had gotten into the habit of uh, playing the lottery every month. One ticket for her and one for Babette. And it turns out Babette had won the lottery. 10,000 francs. And when she told the sisters they just assumed that Babette would go back to Paris and live there on her earnings, her winnings. But Babette had other ideas. She said, I would like to continue to live with you. And if you would allow me, I would like to make a great feast in honor of your father, the minister. A great feast. That didn't sound like them. But they knew that would make Babette happy, and so they agreed. They agreed. And on the day of the feast, as they began to gather the people to come to their house, a general in the army who had once proposed marriage to one of the sisters showed up, happened to be in town, and, and paid a visit to them, and they exchanged pleasantries, and then they invited him to the meal. And as they all sat down at the meal, Babette began to serve them one course at a time, began with bread and cheese and a, and, a, and a wine to be paired with them. Delicious. And then the second course came out. A soup and a drink to pair with that. Better than any soup that they had ever had. And then a third course and a fourth course followed that. Pheasant, quail, all sorts of delicacies. And they, the people began to realize they had never had a meal this good. And by the time they got to the last course the dinner dessert course the general realized why this all felt so familiar he remembered that he had once had a meal like this back in Paris at the greatest restaurant in Paris and when he happened to see who had prepared the meal Babette, he realized that she was indeed the chef that she'd used all of her money to put on this feast Well, in this sermon series that we have been going through, At the Table, we are going through the the Gospel of Luke and we're looking at all the different meals that Jesus had with people and how during the meal he revealed himself and uh, realities of the kingdom of God to the people that he shared meals with. And the meal that we know more than any other meal about is what we call the Last Supper. Now it's not called the Last Supper because it's the very last meal that Jesus ate, but it's the last meal that he ate with his disciples before he was crucified, and uh, we celebrate that meal on Monday Thursday, this coming Thursday, and we call it Maundy Thursday, not Monday Thursday, not Monday, but Monday. That's a Latin word for command, because. At the meal, the Last Supper, Jesus commanded his disciples, Love one another as I have loved you. And what's interesting is all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all include the Last Supper in their recounting of Jesus' life. Uh, they include different details, and John actually has the longest uh, recounting. In fact, he he takes five chapters to, to talk about all that Jesus said and did at the dinner. And there's only 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. So one-fourth, almost one-fourth of the Gospel is devoted to this one meal. Now we could spend a whole year preaching on all the things that happened in the Last Supper. We're not going to do that. We're just going to look today at the Gospel of Luke and what he has to say. Uh, So if you are able, would you please stand for this reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them it could be who was going to do this? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, "The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, than the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves." You are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones Judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is God's word for God's people for the good of the world. Please be seated In most of the meals that we have looked at in this series, Jesus was a guest at the meal But at this meal, this supper, Jesus was the host. He had prepared and put everything together for his disciples, his 12 disciples who would be his guests. And the occasion is the yearly Passover, a celebration, uh, something that Jewish people still celebrate today. And it's a celebration of when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, And uh, following a series of plagues, God uh, brought on Egypt. And the, the night before the last plague, the death of the firstborn sons, God told his people that they were to take blood of a lamb and smear it above their doorposts so that when the angel of the Lord came to claim the firstborn sons, he would see the blood above the doorposts and pass over their house. And so the main three elements of a Passover meal were lamb and wine to signify the shed blood of the lamb, and bread, which God commanded the Israelites to prepare as unleavened bread, uh, signaling their readiness to flee Egypt and slavery. And so by celebrating the Passover, Jesus is honoring the past and celebrating the way that God had saved his people— in history but then he does something radical he takes the bread and the wine and he gives it new meaning A- and he says that they not uh, these elements not only point to the past but they also are about what is happening in the present. they are my body and my blood and the, of course foreshadowing what would happen the very next day when he died on the cross and then he goes further and says, not only do these things tell us about the past and the present, they also are about the future. But, because I will not eat this meal again it is till it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Throughout the Old Testament, there were images of the great wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And it's this that Jesus is pointing to in the future. And this meal with Jesus was full of talk about heaven because Jesus lived in light of eternity. Throughout Jesus' life, he was constantly teaching about not only this life, but also about the next. He told many parables about the kingdom of God and about final judgment. He told a parable about a, a man named Lazarus and a rich man who Both one went to heaven and one went to hell. He encouraged people to live and to sacrifice in such a way that they would be rewarded in the next life. And here in Luke's account of the the Last Supper, Jesus mentions the kingdom, meaning the coming of God's kingdom fully in the next life, in the new heavens and the new earth. In verse 16, he says, he will not eat the Passover until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. In verse 18 he says he will not drink the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom comes and then in verses 25 to 30 after the disciples just make fools of themselves arguing over who's the greatest he rebukes them but then gently reassures them that they will sit on thrones and that they will eat and drink in his at his table in his kingdom so interesting This, on the last night of Jesus' life, what he chooses to talk about. What would you, if this was the last night, you knew tomorrow you were going to die, and you had a meal with 12 of your closest friends, what do you think you'd talk about? Maybe you'd relive old times. I I think I would be maybe scared, wanting to be uh, encouraged. But Jesus spends his time trying to encourage his disciples, though he is the one who is going to die. And and in John's account of the Lord's Supper, he goes into even more details about the future. He says uh, that in my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare them for you. He says that he's going to heaven and that he will be sending the Holy Spirit To tell to them to declare to them the things that are to come to tell them more about the future and then jesus prays in the great priestly prayer in john 17 to the father saying i'm coming to you father and that he desires for his people to also be with them in glory see for jesus there was really there's no real separation between this life and the next life he was constantly Talking about either one or the other. He told people that his kingdom was not of this world, but that his kingdom was coming and invading this world. And he was constantly trying to prepare people for life after death. And it makes sense that Jesus speaks so much about eternity because Jesus opens the gates to eternity. Now, I think everybody knows the story of king arthur and the knights of the round table how king arthur was the great king of england and he chose men that would sit around his table men who had served him well pledged loyalty to him jesus tells us though here that in the kingdom that he is the king and he is the one who chooses Who gets to sit with him at his table and at his kingdom verses 29 and 30 let's read that again he says I assigned to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel what an amazing thing for the disciples to hear How do we get to this kingdom the way into this kingdom is not through our accomplishments it's not like the Knights of the round tables uh, that we have to go on quests and earn our way in we only get into the kingdom through the body and blood of the king we get in because our king sacrificed himself to save us and notice At this last supper that Jesus doesn't give his disciples just good advice or some mystical formula of how to make your way to the kingdom what does he give them he gives them himself bread and wine this is my body and my blood given for you and elsewhere in John 6 Jesus says whoever feeds on my flesh drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day why would he say that why would he say that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood it's not because Christians are cannibals but it's because only as we come into relationship with Jesus as we become one with him as we become united to him by faith only then are we made worthy enabled to come into the kingdom of heaven See, Jesus makes an absolute claim that every person who has ever lived has to either accept or deny. He says that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, there's there's no other way into the kingdom of heaven. There's no other gate you can go through to get to heaven. Only through Jesus only through his body and his blood now there are of course people who don't believe in the afterlife they think this is this life is all that there is we have no proof friends Jesus is the proof he is the one who came from heaven to tell us about heaven and is the one who is bringing us there If Easter proclaims anything is that there is life beyond the grave and once you become sure of that it ought to shape the way that you live because it's clear that Jesus wants us to live in constant hope of eternity Uh, it's interesting in the traditional Passover meal there's a prescribed toast uh, for peop- the people to say and the toast goes like this this year in Jerusalem next year in the kingdom I Love that this year in Jerusalem next year in the kingdom now, of course Jerusalem for the Jewish people is the the holy city and To to take to celebrate the Passover meal in the holy city was as good as it gets in this life but next year in the kingdom to celebrate it in the new heavens and the new earth is even greater. Do you live with an eager expectation of the new heavens and the new earth? Do you live with the hope of next year the kingdom? Now, here I need to do a quick little aside to make sure that we're all on the same page about eternity, okay? Because a lot of us I I have found, and at one point I sort of thought this, that we think that heaven is just us going up into the clouds, maybe sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, singing Amazing Grace over and over for all eternity. And if that's heaven, no matter, no wonder nobody wants to go. No wonder Billy Joel's saying, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. But he's wrong because the biblical vision of heaven is heaven coming down to earth God's kingdom coming and invading this world at the end of time and purifying this world Jesus says in Revelation the last book of the Bible when we get a picture of the future he says behold I am making all things new notice what he does not say he does not say I'm not I'm making all new things He says I'm making everything new he's going to purify this world and everything good in it will continue into the next life but without grief without sorrow without fear I want you to think of the greatest day you've ever had in this life maybe it was a great vacation Maybe it was your wedding day, the greatest day you ever had. And I want you to multiply that by a thousand. You'll begin to get a taste of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. And whatever you love, whatever is right and good and true and beautiful will continue into eternity with God at the center. And we will never stop learning, never stop growing, never stop being thrilled in awe at the glory of God. And the wonder of his creation and I am convinced that one of our biggest problems is that we live such a narrow existence navel gazing thinking only about what's for dinner what's on TV rather than living for the full story that God intends for us to inhabit now what does it mean practically to live in the constant hope of eternity Well, the obvious first way that we live in the hope of eternity is in dealing with death. Because, of course, if life—if this life is all that there is, then death is not only tragic, but it is infinitely final. And there is little comfort outside of your memories of the person who's died. But if Jesus is right that there is a kingdom ahead of us, then death is just a doorway— To eternity and there is infinite comfort in that home now that doesn't mean that we don't grieve we do we grieve when people die that's not what God intended but we don't grieve as those who don't have hope Uh, the pastor whose daughter was killed in Nashville showed that kind of hope when he wrote through tears we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again A second way to live in the hope of eternity is in the area of ethics. Because if this life is all that there is, then do whatever you need to do to get ahead. The ends justify the means. As long as you don't get caught, you can cheat on your taxes, you can take advantage of the poor, it doesn't matter. But if there is a king and a kingdom awaiting, what you do now matters into eternity. God will not be mocked. We will not get away with anything. And on the other hand, those who suffer for righteousness' sake in this life will be rewarded in the next. And the third, a third way to live in the hope of eternity is in the area of accomplishments. Because again, if this life is all there is, then grab for the gusto. Make sure every, you make your mark and everyone knows it. You get your name on as many buildings as you can. But if this life is just the beginning, As C.S. Lewis says, the cover page and the title page of the great story that no one on earth has yet read earthly fame and accomplishment are a lot less important than how much we love one another. This is why Jesus tells us don't store up treasures here on earth, store them up in heaven. Friends, are you troubled in this life? Are you unsure about the next? Come to the table. Eat the bread, know that Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life in exchange for yours and rose again to guarantee your victory over death. Drink the cup, know that Jesus has cleansed you from all your sins, made you holy and fit for the kingdom if you have received him by faith. This year in Tulsa, next year the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the future is not a complete mystery. For you have revealed the end of the story. And the end of the story is that Jesus wins. And that the victory of God will be complete. It was completed in principle on the cross and in the resurrection. But it will be worked out the final day. And Father, we await that day with the spirit of the saints. We say, come, Lord Jesus. As we look towards the new heavens and the new earth, would you teach us how to live in a way that that is always before us? And we are storing up treasures in heaven and living for that day, even as we live our best lives here.